My name's Gabe. I'm one of the elders here, the primary teaching pastor. We're really grateful that you're here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab it open to Joshua 1, but it's going to be a while before we get there. So while you're getting it and getting everything situated, Dylan's going to come up here in a little bit and give some announcements, but we have a ton going on over the next couple weeks that we really want to get to know you. We know a lot of you guys are freshmen have come in or new to Dahlonega. Um, so we just have a few events I want to highlight really fast, and then Dylan will give all the rest of the announcements later. But um, this Friday night, uh, it's called Sweaters and Sweets for the girls, for the ladies. Woohoo! Uh, I was thinking before, like, maybe guys, we can have, like, like guns and God sometime, like just go shoot stuff. So y'all can have your sweaters and sweets. We'll go kill animals. Uh, I mean, not animals. That's not right. We'll go kill targets. Yes, targets. God, guns, guts. Three Gs. So anyways, sweaters and sweets, I digress. Sweaters and sweets this Friday night. Um, next Sunday after this gathering, we're going to have a huge uh, lunch together. So plan on sticking around, uh, meeting some people there. Um, in a couple weeks on the 29th, Dylan, where's Dylan? He's going to be teaching the Brant School of Theology, covering the Trinity. Uh, where's our college team? Right here, we're about to start a softball league. Yes, Saturday mornings fist fights and all. It's going to be awesome. And then we have a college retreat coming up. So there are a ton of things, different ways to get involved. And as always, missional communities. Raise your hand if you're a part of a missional community. So uh, there's so much going on. We just want you to be part of our family. If you just come here on Sunday and then leave, uh, we, we just feel like you're missing out. This is not just the church. The church is us as we gather together regularly. So um, Dylan will give more information, but I just want to preface that there's a lot going on and we want you to get involved with us. Uh, again, before we get into Joshua, let me just thank you as a church. Um, we have, our family just came back from vacation and we're so grateful that you guys give us some breaks every now and then to go just a big asterisk warning though. Uh, we got back super late last night, so this is going to be an unfiltered sermon. We okay with that? Don't judge me. Recording is off. It's just going to be awesome. Uh, just kidding. But um, thank you guys. Seriously, we were able to get away, have some family time, go to the beach, go to Disney World. Uh, it was just, just great. I, I don't know... Uh, if, if you're not a pastor, I know there's some pastors in this room. I don't, I don't know that, sh that people can fully understand what's always going on in our mind and in our hearts. Because uh, we know that our enemy is always around us. Sin is trying to get us in. I know a lot of y'all's stories, the brokenness and the pain that you guys are going through. And so just having a time to get away and breathe and relax and spend time with my first church, which is my family, was just incredible to have. And uh, while we were there, I don't know if you guys saw it, the news broke about a pastor in California committing suicide. And it just it hit me regularly like that. This is what I need to do is to get away. And you guys are so generous to allow us to do that. So, um, share one quick story just to kind of tell you how great it was. Um, Friday night, we were getting, packing up everything, getting ready to leave Disney World, and uh, we had these autograph books, right, that like, the kids got all the prince and princesses and Woody and all those guys to sign. And Auburn had one page left. She didn't get all of her autograph book filled. So we said, okay, we'll just pick your favorite part of this whole vacation and put it on there and we'll get a picture to match it. And you can just write on that last page what your favorite part of Disney World was. And so I'm doing whatever. And she walks up and she said, Dad, Dad, will you sign this? I said, what do you mean? She said, well, my family was my favorite part of this vacation. So I want you guys to autograph this book. Yeah, right? I was like, okay. Honey, what do you want? You want a car? I'll buy you one right now. Like, 
Disney World forever. We're never leaving. Um, but seriously, you guys gave us that opportunity, and, and we're really grateful and humbled that you guys would allow us to disappear for a little bit uh, and then come back and get after it. Sound good? All right, so Joshua is where we're going to be. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. That's the next book of the Bible. And we're going to spend 10 weeks going through the book of Joshua. You heard it right, 10 weeks. I know we did the Gospel of Luke in three years, um, but we're going to try to do this in 10 weeks. We have a buffer, so it might be 11 weeks, uh, but we'll see where it goes. And just all cards on the table for me this morning, the Old Testament is somewhat intimidating to me, and I don't know why. I naturally gravitate towards the New Testament. All the books that we've taught through so far have been First Peter, Luke, and Galatians. So we've spent majority of our existence uh, in the New Testament, but we're going to go backwards and go into the Old Testament, and there's a bunch of different reasons why. Um, first and foremost, um, all Bible is God-breathed. It doesn't matter New Testament, Old Testament. Nothing is irrelevant anymore. The Scripture is holy and perfect the way it is so we should read and study all of it. But in my DNA group last year, we started going through the book of Joshua and it just came alive to me for whatever reason. Um, so we, as we were studying through it, just things were popping out left and right. And so we said, okay, well, what if we just spent the next year as a church just preaching through the Old Testament? So Lord willing, we're going to spend from now till next August preaching through different Old Testament books with a break here and there for Christmas and Easter. Uh, and then Lord willing, next August, we'll start in the book of Hebrews for a couple years and we'll just keep going. But we wanted to see what it looked like to see Christ in the Old Testament. To understand the God of the Old Testament is not different from the God of the New Testament. That is one God, one Jesus, one Holy Spirit. And I think, here's, here's kind of where we're going. I think Joshua is going to reveal to us a major flaw in American Christianity. We're going to see through this book, and it depends on the lenses in which we read Scripture, but we're going to see in this book the major flaw, the major lie that we believe, not only as Americans, but how as Americans has affected our faith, affected our Christianity. And it's this, that, that we can control our own faith, our own destiny, our own life. So, so what it really is is morality sprinkled in with a little bit of Jesus in church. That ultimately I can white knuckle, I can have all this effort, I can do this on my own. And when I'm really, really, really struggling, I'll pray then, I'll talk to God then. But 99% of my life, I can handle, I can do it as long as I'm strong, as long as I'm tough, as long as I'm going to get after it, I I'm fine. So we have all across this country churches that are filled with people that, that think that they're good enough to somehow earn their way into heaven, that they're good enough to defeat their own sin, that they're good enough to not really need Jesus. Now here, no one would ever admit that, but if we just followed our lives, if we just looked at how we prayed or how we didn't pray, if we looked at how we made decisions and, and what we considered in those decisions, our life would look like a functional atheist, that, that we can do this, that we control everything about ourselves. And look, I feel like I've been preaching the same message for the last five years. The church actually turned five yesterday. Woohoo! we made it. That's what next Sunday is about. It's like a big celebration. I forgot to mention that part. Next celebration of we made it five years. We just got out of potty training. Woohoo! But, but that, I feel like it's been the same message over and over and over again since we've started. That we cannot do this on our own. 
that if we have a true reflection of what Christ actually is and what he actually accomplished on our behalf, then it's going to make us boast in our sin, not swell up with pride. But American Christianity is not that at all, that you have what it takes, that you're good enough. Just believe in yourself. You've got it. And it's subtle. It's like a, a virus. There's books that are being written now about this idea that, that you've got it. Just get up and go after it. It's your day. You claim it. We see this in the business world. We see this everywhere. It's this virus that's just sinking in. And we see this all the way back in history, that the early church fought and argued over this, that there's not enough faith in you to believe by yourself. There's not enough faith in you to make yourself pure before a holy God. You cannot do it apart from Jesus Christ. So what we're going to see through this book of Joshua is what it really looks like for us to humble ourselves before God and admit that we can't. But if we're not careful, this book is going to stir up in us, oh, you can, you've got this, you can do it. Look at Joshua, be like Joshua. If you do what Joshua did, your life is going to be successful. But we're going to see through Joshua's life, that's not the case at all. Joshua was just being obedient to God within him. So as we jump into the book of Joshua, there's two things I want you to remember as we kind of get started. That you can accomplish great and mighty works like Joshua did. That you can. But the second thing I want you to remember is, but you can't. So you can accomplish things like Joshua did. But the second thing is, but you can't. If you're confused, let's keep going. So the, the setting, let me kind of set up a little bit. I've got to do a lot of framework for where we are. I've just a little challenge to throw out to you guys. Um, over the next 10 weeks, here's my challenge. Read the first five books of the Bible. As we're preaching through Joshua on Sunday morning, read the first five books. It will give you so much context and setting for all that's taking place. But we see for Joshua, we have to go back to Abraham, right? Abram, that God made the original covenant with, I will be your God and you will be my people. And he took Abraham out into the wilderness, told him to look up at the stars and said, look, all those stars, your descendants are gonna outnumber those stars. I'm gonna give you a promised land. So it starts all the way back with Abraham of where Joshua's story actually begins. And then Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob. Jacob has a son, Joseph, and we, see, we know that Joseph, the coat of many colors, Joseph gets sold into slavery in Egypt, famine comes over the land, and as this is going on, Jacob, uh, excuse me, Joseph has earned his way up into Pharaoh's kindred group, that they're boys now because of how he's interpreted some dreams. So when Jacob and his whole family comes into Egypt because they're literally starving to death, who do they meet? Joseph. And Joseph is the one, and that's where the famous line comes in Genesis, um, that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So we say Jacob and Joseph move into Egypt, and then that generation dies. And the Jews, the Israelites, are moving so heavily into Egypt that Pharaoh starts to get really nervous because they didn't want this group to overthrow Egypt, to overthrow Pharaoh. So he subtly starts putting Israelites into slaves. And before you know it, all of them are slaves. And Pharaoh is so intimidated by this that he says, I'm going to kill the firstborn of all the Jews, of all the Israelites. So then we have enter Moses, right? They put Moses into the little raft, throw him down the river because his mom didn't want to murder him. Moses ends up in Pharaoh's kingdom, raised in the kingdom with Pharaoh. 
It, through slavery, Moses grows up. Pharaoh, let my people. Oh, come on, jeez. I'm going back to Disney World. Um, Pharaoh, let my people go. All these plagues come through. The final plague is that what? The firstborn is killed unless there's not a Passover. So if the blood of the lamb is over the door threshold, that's the only way that the firstborn male survives. So Pharaoh freaks out because of this, because his own firstborn son dies. He says, all right, get out of here. Y'all are creeping me out. Leave. As soon as they leave, he changes his mind. He goes after the Israelites to murder all of them. And then the Red Sea happens. Right? They get to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up onto the mountain, gets the Ten Commandments. They spend a year there understanding all the laws, the Leviticus laws that, that God wants them to be holy like he is holy. So he establishes all this and he says, okay, let's go. Let's go to the promised land. Let's earn it. Let's walk into it. It's yours. Go conquer it. So they send spies over and what? Ten come back and say, no, I'm out. There's only two that says we can do this. God has promised us this land. Let's go get it. But the 10 say, no, we're too scared. We can't beat those guys. Let's, let's get out of here. And because of their unfaithfulness, because of their disobedience, God says, none of you are going to see the promised land. Start walking. So for 40 years, they're in this wilderness as they're trying to figure out, okay, wh what do we do? Where are we going? But they're, where they're going is death. When that generation dies off, their children will be the ones to inherit the promised land. So we see the book of Deuteronomy ends with Moses passing away. It's, it's over. That generation is gone. He gives all the children of that generation instructions for what to do, how to be obedient to God through this. Moses dies, hands the reins to Joshua, and this is where we are. We tracking? So read through the first five books of the Bible. That, that was just a very Cliff Notes version of it. But where we pick up today is with Joshua taking over Moses' reign and taking his people into the promised land. But we've got to ask the question, through all this history, who is Joshua? Well, let's do some framework of who is Joshua. So I've got five things that I wanted to notice, and they all start with S. And I did this for Dylan Richards. So get ready. The first thing that we see is that Joseph was a slave, right? So Joseph was born. I'm going to do this. I told, I was going to do it earlier. It's not Joseph. There's so many J's in this story. I'm going to screw this up. Joshua, sorry, Joshua was born as a slave and he was actually the firstborn of his parents. So he was the one because of the blood on the door threshold that was spared. So Joshua was born as an Egyptian slave who was spared from God's wrath because his parents were obedient to him. So he was born as an Egyptian slave in this. So, so all that I just told about the Red Sea and them departing from that and watching the manna fall from heaven and Joshua was right there with all of it. We also see that he was a soldier. The first actual official record of Joshua was his defeat of the Amicalites when they attacked Israel about two months after the Exodus. So Joshua was probably trained under the Egyptian soldiers because he had a body and stature of a soldier. So not only was he a slave, but he was traced up and probably was going to be sent out as the first line of defense for the Egyptians because if he died, who cares? He's just a slave. So he was a slave. He was a servant. Or he was a slave, excuse me, soldier. And we also see that he was a servant. All through the book of Exodus, he was Moses' right-hand man. Everywhere that Moses went, Joshua went as well. Up to the Mount Sinai, he guarded the tabernacle for Moses. He was there. He saw everything. And Moses' highs and Moses' lows, Joshua was there the entire time because he was his servant. 
The next thing that we see is he was a spy. You know, the, the 12 that went in, the 10 that came back and said, nope, we're out, we're too scared. There's people were massive over there, but there were two that were fighting to go in. One of them was Joshua, the other was Caleb. So just, just picture this for a second. Because of those 10 cowards, Joshua had to spend the next 40 years walking around with this group of people, knowing that if, if they would just listen to him, they would have already been in there. Listen, there's no one in this room that would have stick around. If I would have came back and said, listen, we need to go. Here's where we're going. Trust me, I've seen it. Yes, it's scary, but God is with us. He is for us. He's not going to leave us or abandon us. Let's go conquer what is ours. And everyone goes, no, man, we're too scared. We'd rather just walk around for the next 40 years till we die. Who's going to stick around for that? No, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm going to go back to Egypt. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm not going to put up with all of you guys making me do nothing for 40 years. There's so much leadership that we see through Joshua because he stayed for 40 years. He wandered with them. I can just imagine the conversations of him and Caleb at night just railing some of these people that made these decisions. But he stayed. And then here's where we pick up in Joshua 1, that he was a he was the successor, that through the 40 years, that through the spine, that through being a soldier, through being a servant, all of this was preparing Joshua to become the successor for Moses. All of this was preparing him. So here's what we need to see. And I know we have a church of young people, so let me just kind of address maybe an elephant in the room. And I feel it too. I'm not throwing anyone under the bus. But if you're not leading some massive movement by the time you're 20, that's fine. Or 40. Or ever. It's not about popularity. It's not about getting your name out there. It's not about getting likes and look at what this person is doing. It's all about faithful obedience. If Joshua was about his own namesake, his own pride, he would have been out of there so long ago. And he would have never been the successor that led the people into the promised land. He never would have. Because if he was worried about his own name, his own reputation, his own swagger, he would have been gone out of there and never got to experience this. And this generation has to understand this. We're all about building our own platform and look at me, look how famous I am, I'm gonna do this. And, and through that process, we ended up troppling over all the wisdom and discernment and a life that people were trying to speak into us because we want it now. And Joshua's story would have turned out so much different if he would have done that. If he would have been patiently waiting for God to give him a chance, if he would have went and tried to made his own chance, what, what would have happened to the people? Would Joshua's name be in, no, not, not at all. He was humble, he was patient, and he waited. With all that said, let's pick it up, Joshua 1.1. 1, 1. So here's what we're going to do just as you're getting ready. We're going to read the whole chapter together. And this morning we're going to spend a little bit talking just the first 10 verses. And then we'll pray and we'll get out of here. Joshua 1, pick it up in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, go, arise, go over the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. 
from the wilderness in this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and the land of the Hittites and the great sea towards going, great sea toward going down the sun shall be your territory. Verse five, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law of the Moses my servant has commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. From then you will have made your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Verse 10. And Joshua commanded the, commanded the offices, officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your for provisions for written three days you are to pass over the Jordan and go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you to possess. And they did it. And they did it. The whole rest of the book of Joshua is that they listened and they obeyed and they did it. So let's pray and make some observations here. Father, we just pray that you would speak to us this morning. God, we pray that you would open up our hearts to see that our sin, to see what's holding us back from following you completely. Father, the, the culture and the world, the life that we live in, no one is telling us we're wrong. But as we study your word, as we see your promises, it's clear that we are. So Father, would you open our hearts? Would you see where we are following the way of the world, not the way of you? Would you allow us to repent, to, to turn our bodies by changing our minds? Father, because we want to follow you. You have saved us, you have redeemed us, you have rescued us. Let us not fall back into our sin. It's only in your name that we pray. Amen. So I'm just going to kind of teach through a little bit. I know I said I was going to read all of it. I lied. Excuse me. I'll repent from that. I lied. Uh, Joshua, we're going to pick it up verse 4, and I'm going to read a little bit and talk a little bit to make sure we understand the full context of what's happening here. So we see verse 1, how it starts off. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, all right, so let's just kind of zoom out for a second. Moses, the one that was in slavery, that stood up to Pharaoh, that led his people, that received the Ten Commandments, that did all this incredible things for the name of God. And what does he get? Moses, my servant is dead now. Now go do this. So we see the end of Deuteronomy, right, that, that they did have 30 days of mourning for Moses. But here's where we have to check our spirits a little bit. Here's where we have to check our pride. Because we think that if it's not for us, then, then God can't do what he really wants to do here. 
that we deserve all this, this praise, that we deserve all this recognition and honor because all the good things that we're doing. But we have to understand, now my servant Moses is dead, go. God's plan doesn't stop when we leave here. God's not going to stop and go, oh man, Gabe's dead. I'm not going to do anything for 30 years. We're just going to sit and mourn the loss of, no, his will trumps on. We're all just pawns in this. God is using us for his glory, but when we're gone, we're gone. So what happens then if we start building our own kingdom that's all about me, it's all about what I can do, then when I die, what's going to happen? Are we being true image bearers of what God has created us to be, or are we trying to be God and be our own image bearer? I mean, Daniel did an incredible job last week. Thanks for Daniel and Carlton covering the pulpit while I was gone. Pulpit? Uh, stand? Sorry, my Southern Baptist roots just came out. Brothers. Um, did an incredible job talking on multiplication. And here's the core of that. Because we're not trying to implement who I am. We're not trying to replicate who Daniel is, or who Carlton or Dylan or anyone that comes up on the stage. We're trying to multiply what God is asking us to do. If I never came back from Disney World, I pray that everything would continue. There's going to be a day, now my servant Gabe is dead. Now church, keep going. There's going to be a day where your family's going to mourn your loss, but the prayer is that God's will will keep moving because it was never about you. It was solely about God's glory. And if we get this wrong, if we try to build our own platform, our own recognition, all God's work is going to stop on you. So if Moses, Moses, now my servant's dead, Joshua, let's go. There wasn't even a blink for God. Then there shouldn't be for us. We should build our lives in the way that if we die tomorrow, God's glory is going to keep going. Because we're, we're going to die. Spoiler alert. It's coming. Let's not make this about us. Only about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that re- requires us to humble ourselves before God, before others. We want God's glory to be made manifest. So Moses, go back to verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. Now, we're about to see a really interesting way that God chooses to operate. And if we get this lens on, we'll start to see it all throughout Scripture. It's yours, but you got to go get it. God is telling Joshua and all these people, all this promised land is yours. But you can't sit here and just have your hands out. Spurgeon has this quote that we need to work like everything depends on us and pray like everything depends on God. So what we see happening in Joshua's life is Joshua is getting this promise from God. All of that promised land is yours. And and please hear me, we'll see this soon. This isn't just empty farmland that they just get to go walk up on and build this and build that and set up. No, there are people everywhere. This this means that they're going to have to go fight and battle for years to take over this land. He's saying, all of that is yours. Go get it. But what we want is God, we're going to sit here and you just bless us and give us everything. Didn't, didn't you see, God, that I prayed this morning? D- didn't you see that I, I read my word? Hey, God, in a little bit, I've got some tithe money in my pocket. You watching? Droop. Oh. 
That's what we want. We want God just to bless us for doing nothing, for advancing no part of his kingdom, for advancing no part of his name or his glory or his renown. Just bless us. Church, please hear me. Are you breathing? God is blessing you. How he has not killed us all already for being sinners in his world is a blessing. But what we have to do, what we have to understand is that God has given us promises. He's told us these things will happen and we just gotta go get it. So this should give us some boldness here. All, Joshua, all that this land is yours, go get it. I, I've got you, Joshua, go get it. So my question is, what have you seen in scriptures that you're too afraid to go get? What is God pressing you? What is God molding you, shifting you, changing you, asking you, leading you to do, and, and you're too afraid? And I'm not throwing shade. That happens to me all the time. But with evangelism, with discipleship, with giving, with all these things that God is saying, just, be, just trust me. Just be obedient to what I'm asking you to do. Do it. Do it. What is it going to look like if we don't? Well, Deuteronomy 34 tells us exactly what it looks like. This is God talking. And the Lord said to them, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I will let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. God is telling Moses, listen, because of your disobedience, you can't have it. So there's going to come a day where our scared, our fear, our disobedience is going to allow or not allow us to walk into the promises God has for us. That Moses had to put up with all these people for the 40 years, this grumbling, this complaining. I'd rather go back to Egypt and be a slave. And because Moses' disobedience, he never got to walk into the promised land. So here are two options. We can sit in fear or we can walk in the promises of God. And we see Moses sit in fear never sees the promise. We see Joshua, he's going to walk in faithful obedience. He's going to trust what God has asked him to do. So here's, here's what I'm asking. Here's what I'm praying for all of us. We walk in obedience knowing life is going to be incredibly tough. And remember that it's forcing you to trust and grow your dependence on your, not on yourself, but on God's strength. So as we walk into these situations, you're gonna be walking out of your comfort zone, out of what's comfortable for you, where you cannot provide for you. That is the scariest, most vulnerable place you can go. But that's where we see God actually show up. Skip down to verse five. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. This is God telling Joshua, go get it and remember, uh, no man will be able to stand before you just as I was with Moses. I'll be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. And here's where we want to go to. No man will be able to stand before me. It's me. I've worked this. I've earned this. I deserve this. Everyone should bow down to me. God said, no man will be able to stand before me. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've earned. Look how great I am. This is where that American-ness starts coming up in us. I've earned all of this. I deserve all of this. Look what I have. No man can stand before me. And if we stop right there, that, might, that logic might make sense. But we have to keep reading. Just as I was with Moses, 
I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So the shift that happens to happen in our mind that we see Joshua have is that we can stand over here all day long and beat our chest and look how great I am. But if we don't realize that we have to walk over to this side, say the only reason I can say this, that no man can stand against me is because God is with me and he's for me. Have y'all seen the new Lion King movie? I went to Disney, fall back, right? It's incredible. If you haven't seen it, go see it. One of my favorite scenes, even from when I was a little kid watching the original to watching this sorcery that happens on the stage, I don't know how they did all that they did. Animals talking, and it was bizarre. But one of my favorite scenes from Lion King is where he's got the hyenas, Simba's in the pit with the hyenas, and they're coming towards him, and he's trying to roar. And it's like this little quiet roar. And out of nowhere, this massive roar comes from behind him. And for a split second, you can see it on Simba's face going, I just did that. I finally roared. And then it happens again, and then his dad comes out and destroys all the hyenas. Like, yeah, get it, dad. That's us. We're standing in the face of Satan going, rawr. I'm so intimidating, look at me. But we can never forget, church, that our father is standing behind us roaring even louder. So when enemies fall down in front of us, it has nothing to do with how great or powerful or how loud our roar is. It has everything to do with when they see us, they see the Father protecting us and going before us and coming after us and standing with us. So don't for a second think that your roar is intimidating or anyone's bowing down to you. They're bowing down to the God that you serve. And this is where we have to separate. It has nothing to do with you. None of Joshua's accomplishments, none of your accomplishments have anything to do with how great you are, church. Please hear me in love. That's not the truth. The truth of scriptures is that he is with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He has gone before us. He will come behind us. That is why they're afraid. So when we get to verse 6, with that kind of mindset, it makes sense. Be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers. Only be very strong and courageous. And if there's one verse that summarizes the entire book, it's this one. Be strong and courageous. Be very strong and courageous. But we have to ask the question in light of all that we've already seen. Where is God wanting Joshua to put his strength and his courage? Because if he puts his strength and courage in himself, and if Joshua succeeds, then doesn't that make Joshua like God? And if we go back to Genesis and see the very first sin wasn't the first sin to be like God. That if Joshua can do this all by his own power, then why do we need God? Why would we fast forward to the New Testament and see Christ dying on our place? If Joshua can accomplish this by his own strength and his own courage, then why do we need God? And again, we would never admit this, but that's what's going on in my mind. When we read this, Gabe, be strong and courageous. Church, be strong and courageous. That strength and courage is inside of you right now. You've got it what it takes. Go get it. That's not at all what the book of Joshua is promising. That strength and courage only comes from one who stands with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And how does this happen? Keep reading verse 7. Only be strong and courageous, being careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded to you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you should meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. 
for then you will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. So God is telling Joshua, hey, look, don't forget all that Moses has taught you. Don't forget the moment on Mount Sinai where he came down with the law. Don't forget any of that. Meditate on it. Literally walk around murmuring the law. Don't forget any of it. And if you go through Leviticus and all the ceremonial and moral laws that are taking place, there are a bunch of them. He's saying, don't forget, that if you want to be prosperous, if you want to succeed in this journey that I'm sending you on, don't forget the law. Don't go to the left or to the right. Keep on walking. Now, why does this matter? Paul in the New Testament gives us so much clarity of the real true purpose of the law that we can even see back now into the Old Testament. Because there's all these sacrifices that had to take place in the Old Testament. There were some of celebration, praising God for who he was, who he is, but most of them were to cover their sins for the forgiveness that they had to ask for and repent because they are wicked in light of a holy God. So what then is the purpose of the law? Why is he telling them to remember this? One is to be holy like God is holy, but Romans 7, 7 puts it this way. What then shall we say? that the law is sin by no means, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So what the law was doing for Joshua is proving to Joshua that he cannot do what it takes to walk into the promised land. That the law was constantly pushing Joshua back to his dependence, his strength, and courage on God because when he reads the law, when he meditates on the law, he's still having to go sacrifice animals because the sin is literally killing him. So the purpose of the law isn't to show us that we can do it or that there's enough in us to follow the law completely. The purpose of the law is to show us that we can't and it pushes us back into our dependence on God. We see this clearly through the New Testament and this is what God is asking Joshua, hey, don't forget the law, remember the law because when you remember the law, you're gonna stay dependent on me. If you go away from the law, you're gonna become dependent on yourself. So don't go to the left or to the right. Follow after me. And the easiest way to do that is the law. So do you feel stymied or stagnant in your faith? Are you having questions or doubts? Are you kind of wrestling with what, what you would be to do? Or you don't feel like God is active in your heart? I would say press into the law because what's happening is you're becoming more and more dependent on yourself. And you're asking yourself questions that you yourself cannot answer. Dive into scriptures, dive into the law, and that will push you, lead you back to God. Because you can't, but he can. In verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. There it is again. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people. Joshua did it. Moses, his mentor, the guy that he served so faithfully is dead. Joshua takes over. God gives him instructions, be strong and courageous, Joshua. Go, go lead these people into this promised land. It's gonna be incredibly difficult. It's gonna have some hard, hard days, but be strong and courageous because I am with you always. And he did. But we have to ask the question, and maybe it's just me, why did this seem so easy for Joshua? I mean, why was it so easy for him to go, okay, you're telling me I might die going over there? Okay. So I've got to lead all these people that have been grumbling and, and they've seen the example of their parents? Okay. He says, you, you want me to go do, okay. Sure, God, whatever, whatever. 
Then maybe we can go grab some lunch after. Like, it'll, it'll be good. It'll be a good time. When the little insignificant problems we have just rattle us to our core. And Joshua's about to walk into the promised land and have war after war after war. How is it that he could walk in that kind of confidence? Joshua's name wasn't always Joshua. It used to be Hoshea. And the interesting part about that name is that that name by itself just means salvation, right? No salvation, no clarity in what salvation is or, or who brings salvation. But we see in Numbers that, that Moses changes his name to Joshua. So the core of who he is changes, which literally means Yahweh, the Lord, God is salvation. So when, when Joshua's name changes, that becomes an identity change for him. That he realizes to the core that if God is up to my salvation, then he can literally fix and do anything he wants. So whatever he calls me to do, I'm going to do because it's not me that's salvation. It's not up to me. God is salvation. That is my name. And we see the same name littered into the New Testament as Jesus, the foreshadowing, the one that will cover all of our sins for, uh, finally and forever. So with that name change comes some different things. First, we see that Joshua believed that God was literally all-powerful. You, you've got to watch Joshua's life. That's why I'm encouraging you guys to read all of the first five books, because what Joshua saw would be so hard for him to come back and say, ah, oh, God's not real. When he saw the Red Sea split, oh, that's crazy, but God's not real. When he saw literally Moses strike a rock and water come out, ah, oh, God's not real. When he saw manna fall from heaven, brother got hit in the head with a Hawaiian roll, right? Oh, God's, God's not real. He's seen all these miracles take place over and over and over again. So when God says, be strong and courageous, he looks back and goes, yeah, of course. Look at all that God has led me through so far. We have the inability to zoom out. When we get in these hard times, we're just in it for there, for that moment. But if we can just zoom out and say, God was faithful then, God was faithful then, God was faithful then, I know God's going to be faithful now. Because Joshua had all these miracles to look back on and say, yeah, yeah, God is faithful. So when he's asking me to do this to be strong and courageous, I will. Joshua also believed that God keeps all of his promises. So in Genesis 12, the initial promise came out that their, Abraham's descendants would occupy the land. And Isaac and Jacob, all of them have believed this truth. They believed God's promises. So when he said, be strong, courageous, I, I'm going to do this for you, Je Joshua goes, okay. I, I trust you. I believe your promises. And I think this one for us, if we would stop, if we could spend some time here. Do you believe the word of God? Do you, do you believe what's actually in scripture, what's said about God's character, God's nature, and your character and your nature? But do you believe that he will never leave you nor forsake you? Do you believe that he has a purpose for your life? Do you believe that even the story of Joseph, that what man means for evil or that God means for good, so whatever you're going through right now, that is because of the evilness of men, that there's a purpose behind that? Do we believe truthfully the promises of God? How different would Joshua's story look if he didn't? 
Be strong and courageous, Joshua. Go get it. I will never leave you for it nor forsake you. Uh, I think you would. I think if I do something wrong, you're out. I think if I have a moment of weakness that, that you're going to disown me forever, God. I, I, I don't believe you. For a lot of us, that's probably where we are. When God is saying, trust me with all of you, you don't, you don't believe it for a second because there's some wounds, there's some reasons you have. But if we want to be strong and courageous, we want God to use us like never before. We must believe in all of his promises. And the biggest promise that Joshua believed is that God would be with him always. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you always. We see Jesus say the same thing in the Great Commission, right? Go make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Remember, I'm with you always till the end of time. So that same promise that's uttered in Deuteronomy, that's uttered in Joshua, is now uttered by the lips of Jesus. I'm with you always. And that's why we can go over to Romans and read Romans 8.31. What then shall we say? If God is for us, then who can be against us? That, that no one can defeat us. We should be the most confident people on earth, not because we're strong and courageous, but we have a mighty lion roaring behind us, defeating all of our enemies if we just walk forward in obedience. This whole premise of Joshua. So as we start to end our time together, the main question is this. Are you trying to find your strength and courage in yourself or in God? And there's no middle ground to your church. It's either in yourself or it's in God. As we see this book of Joshua start to play out over the next 10 weeks, we're going to see how Joshua would utterly fail over and over and over if his strength and courage was built on himself. So if you're depressed, if you're lonely, if you're down, if you're not understanding this whole Christianity thing, if, if you just have tum, so many questions, if you, if you don't have it figured out, if you don't feel like things are working, I would say, where's your strength and confidence lie? Is it within you or is it within God? Because we end every gathering the same way. If you're a baptized believer, we'll walk over here in a second and we'll take communion together. And this is what we're remembering, that I have no strength or courage on my own that I am my own worst enemy. That if it's up to me, if it's up to my devices, I would fail 100% of the time. And that's why we needed someone to come rescue us. That's why we needed someone to come redeem us. That's why we need someone going before us and after us, holding us up because there's not enough strength or courage within us to do anything. So as we read Joshua over the next 10 weeks, let us please see that it's not Joshua who has the strength and courage to lead this nation of people. It's God's strength and courage within Joshua that allows him to succeed. So let's pray. And Father, I feel like I need to, we need to repent from trying to do all this on our own. Father, we see clearly that you have saved us, but for, for some reason in our minds, we go from salvation that's only a work of God to sanctification, which is only a work of us. That now that God has saved me, I need to take care of me. Would you get that thinking out of our mind? God, that you are our strength, that you are our courage, that we can do nothing apart from you. And I know many of us in this room are just tired. 
we're worn out because we've been running on our own strength and our own energy and our own courage for years, and we're done. We're done. I know some of us in this room are facing some really hard trials right now, and, and everything in us and the advice that we're being told is, you can do this, you're man enough, you're woman enough, you can handle this, take care of yourself. And we go to bed at night thinking there's, there's no way, there's, there's no way. I know some of us, either we've experienced this or we've seen this happening around us, that there's been some really hard times that have come to either us or the ones that we love. We don't understand it. We don't understand why a God that would love us would lead us through these hard times. But the answer for all of those is the same, that God is developing in us strength and courage in him. So church, as we sit here and as we pray and as we consider, as Scripture would ask us to examine our hearts before we take communion, where is it that you're depending more on yourself than on God? Where is it that you're finding your strength and courage in yourself? Where is it that you're believing the lie that, that you can fix everything? There's enough in you to do right. Where is it that we perverse Romans that if I am for me, then who can be against me? Where is it that we need to humble ourselves before a holy, righteous God and say, I can do nothing apart from you? Church, I long for us to be obedient to this call that we find all of our strength and all of our courage in the one that's gone before us. It has plans for us that we could never dream of. And they're there. We just have to walk in obedience. And it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult. But if God is for us, who can be against us? So literally the word repentance means to change your mind, to change the way you think. So this morning as we sit here, as we examine, let us change our mind. Let us shift over from a man-centered theology to a God-centered theology. That our strength and courage lies within God, not within us. So take time to repent. Take time to apologize, to cry out to God for that. And the band will be playing, and whenever you're ready, whenever we've examined our hearts and confessed our sins, we know this, that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And we can walk over to that table, and we can take the bread, which represents his body, and dip it in the juice, which represents his blood, because that is our forgiveness that the perfect spotless lamb has covered the sins of the world. So whenever you're ready, communion is open, the band will be playing, and we will respond through communion, through worship.